Hey, Beer Ego listeners, this is Evan. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. In this episode, we sit down with the guys from Grand Canyon Brewery and Distillery just outside of the south rim of the Grand Canyon in Arizona and had a really great time. Uh, this is the first podcast that we've had brewers and a distiller on, so I hope you enjoy. That is Tanuki. That's Tanuki right there. Tanuki? Yes. So yeah, so Tanuki is like a... Uh, it's almost like a Japanese leprechaun in Japanese folklore. They are these hairy little beasts with giant testicles, <laughs> and their testicles have magical powers. Sometimes they'll play them like drums to lure people into the woods and kidnap them into the fairy realm, or sometimes they'll wrap them around themselves like a cloak, and it, it, it's a disguise, and so they'll disguise themselves with different people. Or, of course, fishing and flying. Because, I mean, what else are you going to do with a giant pair of balls? <laughs> so. I don't think uh, anybody has an accurate picture in their head of what we're staring at based on your description. <laughs> okay. So, all over. So, <laughs> oh, so is it? It, in, in Japanese, uh, tanuki means uh, raccoon dog. Um, That's probably. And, and actually, it's a real creature. And but what we are looking at is not a accurate description. Or this, this, is a, uh, this is a stuffed model based on folklore. It's about two feet tall. Um, <laughs> it's got a very large chest, a very small head, stands upright, bipedal, little tail. Kind of leaning forward a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he has got some humongous huevos. Yeah, about tennis ball size. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah in your head. Yep, that's yeah. probably why he's leaning forward there yeah, a little a lot bit. Of weight to carry, yeah. for yes, sure. I could see that. So, yeah, he's, he's a heavy guy, and one of our rituals here at the brewery especially when we have, like, a busy day going for us, is we always give Tanuki a little tickle in the morning uh, for good luck. Gotcha. Has, have, can you tell the difference on the days whenever you give Tanuki a tickle and when you don't? It's usually when everything starts hitting the fan that we ask him yeah. to really tickle <laughs> Tanuki. Uh, no, so we, we, we tried doing it to John, and that, that didn't work out well. <laughs> he did not appreciate that. I right. could see that. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like trouble. Yeah. Uh, it, how did this get here on our table or is there a story behind so when it came to the brewery several years ago i guess i still am but um i was an active duty sailor and i was part of operation tamadachi and so we were in japan for a while and uh our port was sasebo and so i used to go in sasebo and i went down a dark alley found a uh, a little shop with uh curiosities and tanuki was one of those curiosities that i found and this is the only belonging that I still have for my Navy days. Wow. So he means a lot to me and to the brewery now. So. That's incredible. I feel honored to be sitting at the table with Tanuki. I should probably also mention he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt as it's our tradition here at the brewery to wear Hawaiian shirts every Friday. Um, Tanuki just happens to have his own that he wears every day. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that gets that honor to wear yeah, Hawaiian yeah, shirt every yeah, day. That, we can only wear them on Fridays. I like it. I think I saw a skeleton in the brewery, too, that had a Hawaiian shirt Ooh. on. Yeah, yeah, so that would be yeah. Max, our former Sullivan. Yeah. Your former... Former Sullivan. Sel- yes, okay. Yes, he, <laughs> he had a little too much of one of our whiskeys and retired here permanently. There you go. <laughs> it happens. I'm kind of just intrigued to hear more stories of uh, <laughs> what, what the meaning is behind things around the brewery. Well, I mean, we definitely do have a, uh, a brew culture here, um, or a culture of our own, if you will. Um, we obviously work really hard to make sure that our beer and spirits are top quality. Um, but at the same time, it's we live in a little small town that has less than 3,000 people here, not a lot to do. So we do have to entertain ourselves a lot. 
and it's little things like the fallen cellarman and our big bald mascot here that help us do that. Um, and so if you're on our Instagram, um, you'll see us doing a lot of hijinks, um, hosing each other down, uh, pranks, stuff like that. And we have a good time. We do. That's awesome. Uh, so I cracked open a beer while you were talking about Tanuki. Can you tell me uh, which beer I've got here and a little bit about it? Ronnie, why don't you jump in on this one? I haven't, I haven't heard your voice yet. I have to check on the brew. <laughs> <laughs> a likely excuse. <laughs> okay, all right. That's a good excuse, but it's a likely excuse. Yeah, so right here we have our uh, Sacred Saguaro Lager. This is our Vienna-style lager. Um, this is one of my favorites right here. I don't mean to interrupt you, Brandon, but right now would be a great time to actually do your commercial spot on that beer. <laughs> Let's see if I can remember it. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just go from the top of my head. <clears throat> You're a Grand Cane Brewing Company. We've learned a few things over the years. One of those things is cactuses don't taste that great. But beer's named after them do. So come on by and grab a Sacred Saguaro Vienna Lager. <laughs> it doesn't actually taste like cactus. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Thanks. So that little spot Brandon did, we've been working on featuring our company on radio spots here nice. on local radio stations, and he can pull all sorts of ridiculous voices out of his hat on cue. That's awesome. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to charge you for that, though, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Free advertising? Nope. <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. No, you're good. Um, okay, so Grand Canyon, Saguaro, uh, there's... Sacred Sacred Saguaro is Sacred Saguaro. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so yes. And so, I'm pronouncing well, it incorrectly. Arizona is one of the few places, um, well, specifically Southern Arizona or Central Southern, but that the Saguaro actually is native to. That it actually grows. Um, so, I mean, obviously, when you think of Arizona, you think of the Grand Canyon, and you think of Saguaros. Yep. Um, and so we decided to incorporate that into our logos, into our name. I mean, we're all about incorporating Arizona culture into our brews, beers, and spirits. Um, so yeah, and, but no, it's a traditional uh, Vienna lager. Um, it's a little bit sweet, it's toasty, excuse me, very malty. Um, and it's, I mean, it's good for summertime, wintertime. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's a go-to beer, especially when it's in a nice 16 ounce can like this. You can go ahead and really enjoy <laughs> I'm gonna it. i have to charge you again for yeah. that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, outside of Arizona, the saguaro is the official state cactus. And you see this picture of it there mm. on the can. And it's the stereotypical cactus I think you think of whenever you think of it a is cactus. But it's not out, the only... It arms out. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's great. I'm enjoying it. And I could totally see it being a good hot day, oh, drinkable, cool you down type of a beer. And honestly, even on a cool day, too. It's got that, uh, that maltiness that, I mean, just fits anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I like having lager options that aren't uh, that craft beer lager options, if you will. No, absolutely. I think uh, people even who enjoy craft beer will turn to one of the uh, more mass-produced lagers if they're just looking for something to drink no. on a summer day. Um, so these options are are great to have. We definitely take pride in our lagers here, um, especially since we're uh, one of the few breweries that actually lager their lagers. It's not just a name we use. Um, so yeah, so this guy. We actually lagered for, um, I think it was two and a half months. Um, so we took our time on it, uh, and it, it turned out fantastic. So walk me through what lagering means whenever you're saying you're lagering something versus not lagering so, it. So 
a logger or loggering is a process. Okay. So, you know, you'll have a pilsner or um, something similar, and that is a style of beer. But a logger is a process that you go to, which is essentially cold storage. So once we are done with the beer, we'll go ahead and dump all the yeast off, and we'll keep it crashed um, for at least a month and a half, ideally two, though. Cool. Yeah. And that, that process of keeping it cold as you cold cellar it mm-hmm. before it actually gets packaged is part of what develops the flavor profile of the beer. Exactly. Helps really bring some of that malty sweetness forward that you normally wouldn't really pick up if we just fermented it as an ale. Um, and that character really makes part of the beer. What makes it so drinkable is the fact that they do a really long lager on it. That's incredible. Yeah. So while we're here uh, with Chris, you are not drinking a beer. I'm you've not, got something no. else in your hand. Yeah. Is this something that you've created here? This is. It's yeah. worth noting that Grand Canyon Brewery is not just Grand Canyon Brewery. It's Grand Canyon Brewing, Brewing and Distillery. That is correct. Uh, yeah. So what do you have right here that you're uh, drinking? So I'm sipping on a bit of my single malt whiskey. Um, Grand Canyon Distillery is a fairly young business. We've been running it for about two years now. Doing a lot of white spirits, vodka, rum, gin. Uh, all of those spirits are very short turnaround time. Um, it only takes a couple weeks from start to finish to make them. Because they don't have to sit in a barrel, get their color, flavor, and everything. That is correct, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and so with whiskey, it takes at least a year in a barrel, if not much longer than that, for the whiskey to fully mature. And we're just starting to hit the point now with our distillery where some of our stock that we produced when we first launched back in October of 2017 um, it's finally starting to mature. Um, and so I'm sitting here just sipping on a bit of our single malt whiskey, um, which is essentially our Pilsner beer without any hops um, that our brewers actually brewed for us. And then we fermented, distilled it, and barreled it down. I'm intrigued by that process, I guess. I don't know a whole lot about distilling, uh, and I'm learning more about brewing. So walk me from what the brewers did and, and their involvement in it and then where you took over and kind of turned it into a, a whiskey for sure yeah so our brewers basically what they did for me is they brewed a beer for us minus the hops from the mash bill um, so they took about 2,000 pounds of pilsner malt um, brewed it basically into a beer mashed it loudered it boiled it cooled it off um, and then we fermented it Um, using the same yeast that we use for our beer um, to yield basically an unhopped beer that was about 7% ABV. At that point, what I did as a distiller, though, is we take that finished beer and we distill it. Uh, We put it into a still and we boil it. Which is a beautiful still back there. Yes, it's it's incredible. (laughs) Miss Betty, okay. And, uh, And yeah, so we boil it, and as we boil it, the still itself actually captures all the vapor that comes out of that beer that we're boiling alcohol has a much lower evaporation temperature than water when you boil something with alcohol in it the first thing that vaporizes off of it is the alcohol um, and so in the case of this single malt we're having here basically we took that unhopped pilsner beer um, and we distilled all the alcohol out of it taking it from seven percent abv up to about 140 proof um, which would be 70 percent abv um, and at that point we added a little bit of water into it We put it into a barrel to age for about 18 months. Um, New American oak barrel that's charred on the inside, which is where whiskey gets its color from. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because when it goes into the barrel, it goes into the barrel clear. Put it in that barrel um, and let it rest and let it take time to breathe and extract a lot of the wood components out of the barrel to complement a lot of the whiskey flavors and at the same time soften 
a lot of the more harsh components of the distillate. Um, and ultimately, what came out of the barrel is a delicious American single malt whiskey. Uh, if you'd like to try it, feel free. I feel obligated to. It's no. quite delicious. <laughs> and that's what's something really cool that we kind of have here going on the Grand Canyon with me running the distillery operations. Um, and these guys, that is very delicious. Thank yeah. you. And uh, these guys over here brewing beer is that in a lot of ways we co-utilize each other. We work together cooperatively um, for them to make a lot of really great beers, uh, for me to produce a lot of great distilled spirits on shared equipment um, and shared knowledge as well. And there's a lot of crossover between the distilling industry and the brewing industry. And it's awesome for me to have these guys to work with. Um, or otherwise, most distilleries, I'd be on my own running a lot of it by myself. I love you, Ronnie. So what you can't see right now is, is Ronnie's flipping him off right now because we, um, we while we love Chris and his products... You're saying we, we as the brewers? Because we use utilize a lot of the same equipment, um, and so we have to schedule around each other. And so if our date goes long, it'll affect him and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so there have been many days where we have cursed each other. We're, we're all trying to pull steam. He's, you know... He's running both stills, and we're trying to heat up a hot liquor tank in our kettle, and it's just, yeah. Um, we love each other, but it's it's almost like brothers. You know, you love each other, but you hate each other a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you heard the story of how Chris became our distiller? <laughs> no. Please tell. Oh. Oh, that's true. <laughs> There's a few different ways to look at this. Um, my favorite one, though, or my favorite twist on it is that this brewery that we're sitting in was built well before there was ever a distillery here and uh and so when they built this brewery the owner of the company had the opportunity to buy a still uh that's miss betty our 250 gallon still and so he bought it and brought it in here and he approaches brewers and said who wants to make the distilled spirits here and they all looked at him like no because <laughs> Not that these guys don't know what they're doing, but they're not distillers. Um, no difference than I'm a home brewer, but I definitely don't wear the title of a brewer myself. I can sit here and talk about our beers, but like the technical skill set that they have, at bre- have as brewers, I don't have that, and vice versa. Um, and so ultimately how I ended up here is that the owner bought a still and intended for his brewers to run it and quickly realized that there were no distillers working for him. Were there some batches that were created in this time period for him to quickly realize that? No. No. Okay. No. (laughs) No. Um, I mean, to the point when I showed up here, the equipment was misassembled and (laughs) non-functional. Not to not to discredit these guys at all. They didn't build it. Um, They brought up the story. Yeah. (laughs) I was I was talking about the slapping part. He's he's getting to the slapping part. Yes, that's what I was Um, talking about. So when I came up here to interview for the position. These guys were in the terrible transition of leaving the prior facility we were working in um, and moving over into this one, which meant they were brewing full-time in two facilities, uh, working like dogs, for sure. And so just just a heads up, myself and Ronnie are the only two full-time brewers. We have a head brewer, but he he's more of a director of operations. He's more on the uh, paperwork side. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and so Ronnie and Brandon were working crazy hours, and when I first met them, I got a lot of antagonistic, sort of strong vibes at each other. They didn't seem too <laughs> happy with each other at the time. Um, and so we sat down one night to drink while I was up here, uh, 
being interviewed for the job, and I introduced them to a card game um, that if you play the game incorrectly, you get to slap your opponent in the face as hard as you want. And this is a game you brought... Yes. To a okay. job interview. Yes. <laughs> and so I introduced them to the game and quickly realized that uh, they had a lot of pent-up frustration <laughs> and anger. They very quickly proceeded to slapping the shit out of each other. <laughs> because they played it wrong. Uh, uh, maybe not the details of the game. The game encourages <laughs> the opportunity to slap people. Okay. Um, if you're competitive and playing it, you will eventually end up getting slapped. It's a great game, and that's how I realized they were good people that I was down to work with. So you playing this game with them, interviewing for a job, did you slap anybody? I did. Oh, yeah. 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 Hard? Oh, yeah. We, we <laughs> loved him because of it. We're we, like, yeah, yeah, he's we, hired. We thought we scared him away. They're like, oh, man, I wonder if that guy's going to come back. <laughs> and, and for me in the moment, I realized, I'm like, these are good people. I can work with these guys. If I can just meet somebody, we can slap the shit out of each other. And, and they slapped you as well? Yeah. yeah. So there was Absolutely. maybe, this is a brilliant way to, to go to an interview, because there may be an obligation for the company to hire you after you've been slapped by their employees during an interview <laughs> process. <laughs> I'm not saying that was the case, but uh, that's a really funny well, the thing interview is I've, I've process. I've played this card game with a lot of people over the years, okay. and more often than not, people who have just met are very, very timid and reserved, and they're like, no, no, I can't, I can't play that game. And all these guys were like, wait, we get to slap each other? Like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, all right, these are my kind of people. Okay, Ronnie is pouring us something here. What are you pouring us, Brandon? <laughs> okay, since, uh, since Ronnie is pouring and walking, so this is our, this is our wild saison. Okay. Now um, we're really excited about this. This is one of our uh, barrel aged project projects. Um, so this is a saison that we use some wild yeast in it, um, along with some Belgian yeast, and we aged it for uh, for several months. We fermented and aged it in American white oak barrels. Um, yeah, Chardonnay barrels. And it came out better than we could have expected. I mean, this is just absolutely fantastic. Um, if you go ahead and cheers, cheers. Guys. It's got such a wonderful flavor profile. Mm. Has just a tiny bit of that, you know, uh, that tartness right mm -hmm. there from the wild yeast. But it also brings out um, a lot of citrus. There is, uh, you got the grapefruit, a little bit of lemon in there. Um, yeah, I'm just, I, I, I'm super happy with this. Very happy with this. Really easy drinking during the summer, I feel. Really yeah. bright character and very proud of it. So we're sending this guy into GABF and we have high hopes for it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So you, you said this is a special barrel-aged project? Yes. How many of these do you do a year or is this something that you're just kind of... <sighs> Well, it all depends on how much access we have to barrels okay, um, and how much time we have as brewers because it takes a lot of attention and, excuse me, and time to go ahead and do these barrel-aged projects. Um, but we have done several of them this, this year, actually. Like, right after this, we, um, we, Ronnie and I actually brewed more wort into that, and we did a, um, a Belgian golden ale. Okay. And so right now that is finishing up. We're actually, we should crash that very soon. Um, we have done, we did a one, it was called Dire Wolf. It was a, uh, it was a brown ale. Um, and it, it was a kind of a, a sour brown and it turned out really nice. 
Um, and that was, our, that was actually our first attempt at uh, bottle conditioning as well. Um, so that was a fun and a learning experience, by the way. What is bottle conditioning? So bottle conditioning, normally when you carbonate a beer, you are forcing CO2 into the beer through, uh, it's called a carb stone and a bright tank. Okay. Uh, when you bottle condition a beer, you are, what you're doing is you're adding a little bit of sugar to it and you're going to go ahead and reactivate that yeast. And that yeast is going to, or that the production, um, or once that yeast devours the sugar, it's going to create more CO2 in an enclosed space, which gets absorbed into the beer. Um, so you have a naturally carbonated beer. Is there a limit? Or real ale. Uh, does it continue to carbonate, or is there a limit at which it stops carbonating? And so that's the thing, is measuring out just the amount of sugar that that yeast will digest. Okay. Um, and if you use too much, you can have exploding bottles, you can have overcarbonation. Like You pop the top, it'll go all over the place. Gotcha. Um, and so it's kind of hard to judge, uh, especially when you have uh, a beer with wild organisms in there because you don't know uh, how much sugar that will actually eat. And are you referring to the wild yeast? Yeah. Okay, you mentioned wild yeast and then a a different type of yeast. What defines a wild yeast? Ronnie, you want to take that? Yeah, I'm going to make you talk one of these times. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. All right. (laughs) Okay. I got um, like two minutes and then I got to run down. Oh, come on. (laughs) Let's hear it. Come on, you got two minutes. Yeah, you got two minutes, man. Put your spiel out. Okay, okay, okay. I won't won't force him. Um, So we've actually done a lot of fun stuff out here. Uh, We've actually gone out and and collected wild yeast um, from around northern Arizona. Okay. And we've propped it up by putting it in just small ounce of wort and tasting it, finding profiles that we like and reusing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's a wild yeast. And gotcha. Also, sometimes you'll find some bacteria as well you like in there. Yep. Um, and so we found and isolated the yeast that we like, and we use that in some of our beers. And so that's a wild yeast as opposed to a lab-grown yeast. Okay. Um, like if you... When you most breweries go ahead and buy their yeast from like White Labs or a similar yeast company that propagates it a certain amount, and then you go ahead and prop that up. And, and it's you controlled, it. exactly. Uh, so you get the same flavor profiles. Is that exactly. why? Exactly. Okay. You know exactly what you're getting. Yep. Um, but yeah, no. with wild yeast, it's you, you can try to find what you like, um, but um, yeah, sometimes it can be a little a unpre- little bit unpredictable. Gotcha. Yeah, our first one, Direwolf. This is Ronnie. I am speaking. <laughs> uh, our first one we did with the Direwolf was really hard to judge, and we totally got the sugar wrong completely, <laughs> and we had over-carbonated beer. It seems to die down quite a bit now, but that was just a big learning experience we had to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I imagine uh, just in brewing, the more you're in it, maybe the less that happens, but starting a brewing process... Uh, the amount of times you have to do something wrong to get something right happens often, or is it just... We try to control that. Okay. Um, yeah, so before we do anything big, we like to do smaller batches. Yep. Um, to, if we if we do make any mistakes, to try to minimize the damage, because um, you've seen our fermenters out there, those are all 120-barrel fermenters. Um, so if we messed up on a beer like that, that'd be um, tens of thousands of dollars of beer down the drain. Yeah. Um, is it uh, just math taking something from a small batch to a large batch, or is there more to it than mathematics of? Uh, so it's multiplying. definitely about scaling it up. Okay. You find a recipe you like, um, and then you do scale it up. There will be differences, especially on the hot side. Um, finding exactly 
how efficient your brew house is, all of that will um, will be affected. But go ahead, Ryan. It looks like you um, So, for example, our trail hike, uh, me and Brandon, we worked on it on five-gallon batches, right? I think we, yeah. s- we got up to 15 gallons. And then finally, we're like, okay, we like the recipe. We like it. Um, we like the hop profile. We like everything that's going on. So we scaled it up. And now it's in the can. But it all starts just like that. Right now, we're working on a brown ale that we're going to do with the coffee roast company. What is yeah. it? Pexi- Pezoto. Pezoto. Yeah, Pezoto. Uh, we're going to go work on a brown and do a coffee brown with them. So it starts off with the five-gallon batches, though, first. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Same exact thing as a home brewer. We, we come back to the roots. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And so uh, in a can means that you're distributing some? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we used to just do uh, four different beers in cans. Um, but we have uh, we got a really talented uh, graphic designer. And he's, I, if you look at these, I mean, look at, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, that is a sexy beer can. It's a limited color scheme. It's yep. very minimalist, but at the same time, it really pops at you. Totally. And it goes with, uh, um, is this a picture of the Grand Canyon here? Yeah, on is, the yeah, can- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. the okay. rendering of it. Yeah. And the trail hike, I don't know if these guys mentioned or not, it's a session IPA. Gotcha. Um, which is basically a low ABV, a little bit lower of a hopped IPA um, that is sessionable, where you can have a couple of them and not be crawling around on the floor because you're drunk off a strong beer. Yeah. And so Ronnie and I are really proud of this one, too. Um, it's it's only 24 IBUs, so there's a lot of people out there I right hear, you know, like, I don't like IPAs. They're just too bitter for me. Yeah. Um, Get in that voice, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, you know what? Go ahead and uh, go ahead and try this. Um, and so with this... You get you get a little bit of citrus. You get melon character from the, the dry hops that we use. Um, we use Hallertau Blanc and Amarillo in this, um, and so it has a kind of a fruity, melony character to it, uh, without that heavy hit in the face, punch in the face IBUs. So um, it's it's an IPA everybody can drink. That's awesome. And you can get it pretty well everywhere in Arizona. Um, believe it's in going into quite a few grocery stores now mm-hmm. um, as well as convenience stores uh, and you can also get it in a tall boy format the 19 two ounce can oh yeah in the 19 two is that bigger than the oh yeah 16 it yeah i don't know so if i've ever like, had a beer out of a 19 like a tall, we'll show you one okay. stadium stadiums carry 19 twos okay. don't, yeah. don't try shotgunning it though it's not a good <laughs> yeah. idea yeah yeah we've you, confirmed it's speaking really from experience hard. or beer mile don't do that with it yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too big for a beer mile for yeah. shotgunning. And, uh, yeah, you can get them in Chase Field, which is the baseball stadium for okay. the Diamondbacks, uh, as well as the Coyotes Stadium, which is nice. the hockey team of the okay. state. Mm-hmm. And the session is the only one that's, like, like that? Or you have uh, a lot of beers so right now that are distributed? Okay. Um, which is in a 19 two-ounce can as well as a 12. Um, and same thing, you can get it in the two major sports stadiums. Not in the football same stadium team. yet, but... Got baseball and hockey covered. Nice. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, shotgunning yeah. them, terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Any one of our, So one of our traditions, whenever we can a new beer, uh, for instance, this is the first year we did the Vienna Lager. Um, in, in a can. Earlier this year, we, or I think it was last year, actually, wasn't it? We did um, we did an IPA called Meme Wars, um, and then we also did... <laughs> 
Good That's a great name. Oh, by the way. Overnight and are deep in the green. And who's uh, in charge of naming these? Uh, or is it just we, a we team effort? Long okay. time we just yeah. kind of throw darts at the wall till yeah. something sticks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, That's great. But yeah, so we we kind of have a tradition. Once we finish the first canning run, we go ahead and we all get together and we we shotgun a beer. Um, we learned with the nineteen twos that it's <laughs> not possible or a good idea. Yeah. Even with the Pilsner, it's still you not a good right. idea. Too much yeah. beer. Yeah, that's a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> 20 ounces down the hatch. <laughs> yeah, in the morning before you start brewing, right? Of I'm course. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Always a.m., <laughs> never p.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a.m. That's awesome. So uh, I'm going to go back to something real quick. The brewer, the brewery and distillery together, uh, the the combo that you told me about seems like it works well and it doesn't work well because you're using the same equipment. Yeah. But why aren't more people doing what you guys are doing? Um, what um, is it that would stop a brewery from A lot distilling? of it is actually state law. Uh, really only in the past eight years has craft distilling become a viable business model um, due to changes in state laws. For Arizona specifically or are these state laws? the entire kind of, okay. U.S. Um, there are still a lot of states to this day where a craft distillery is not a viable business model because of the very strong restrictions that are written on distillery law. A lot of stuff held over from prohibition. Okay. Um, and that's part of why you don't see a lot of it is that in some states uh, it just doesn't work. The numbers just don't pencil out. Um, here in Arizona, it works out well because as a craft distillery, we're able to self-distribute, um, which you aren't in a lot of states. Gotcha. Um, and we're also allowed to actually operate in the same building. Okay. In a lot of other states, you can't do that. Gotcha. Um, and ultimately, it's that we have very distillery-friendly laws here in our state that make it possible. Um, there are a lot of states where it just can't happen yet. And nobody's lobbied yet to change those laws. Um, the laws here in Arizona only changed in 2015 to make it possible. And well, yeah, it's not that long ago. No, not at all. There's a distillery uh, in Atlanta called AWS Distillery, and I talked to one of the guys there, and he said he gave me this picture of uh, distilling today is maybe where brewing was 50 years ago. Yeah, and there's a lot of room to grow in that area. Is that kind of yeah. Like, the, the law is changing, I think, oh, is, is the main thing. The laws have come a long way. I know in Georgia, and in every state we've been in, the laws are slightly different. Uh, we don't have a podcast from Utah because we were in southern Utah, and it was somewhat difficult to find a brewery. Yeah, so um, the laws are different in every state, which makes it uh, difficult for, for brewing, but they've come so far, especially right. in the last... Five ten years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, do you see that on the horizon for distilling? Or I think it's changing a little bit. Okay. The big thing that we don't have the advantage of as brewers or as distillers that brewers have always had is that it's still illegal to home distill. Um, it is not legal anywhere in our country, with the exception of like a county in Missouri. Um, where you can... Uh, Missouri, sir? Missouri? <laughs> uh, misery. <laughs> um, it's illegal to home distill. And I, I would challenge anybody to go meet somebody who works professionally as a brewer that didn't home brew at some point in their life. Gotcha. Um, where for us as professional distillers, um, I'm a professional distiller, and that's all I can actually say about the topic. Yes. <laughs> that's how I got into it. In North Georgia, there's a moonshine festival, and I think there's a lot of people that uh, 
do not professionally distill that also I can't say make moonshine or, or distill anything as well. Yes, there um, are there are many people who make distilled spirits in our country as a hobby, but right. not a profession. Interesting. It's just not legal. Right. And right. so it's a creates a bit of a barrier to entry where if somebody wanted to get into the industry and still follow state and federal law, they would kinda have to dive into the deep end without ever swimming. Interesting. That makes sense. Yep. And so that's sort of one of the huge barriers to entry in distilling is that to learn and understand the industry, you kind of have to work in it. Right. And uh, that opportunity is not easy to come by. Yep. Hmm. I haven't thought about those things before. That's intriguing. Um, But, yeah, so we, we were able to put this together here at Grand Canyon partially because of the laws here um, and then part of because we were building this large facility where we had the excess room and capacity for me to steal the resources from the brewers. Yeah, thanks, Chris. You're welcome. I feel like we should play this slapping game at the end of this. Um, And so there's also this building out uh, near the parking lot that's being built, and I was told before we started this that that's going to be a storage house for a lot of what you're working on with the distillery? Yeah, so the big focus of our distillery is bourbon whiskey production. Okay. Um, I love bourbon. I'm professionally trained, actually professionally trained, didn't figure it out at home, uh, in the production of bourbon whiskey. And we make a lot of bourbon here using Arizona-grown corn, um, doing traditional sour mash bourbon used uh, produced using blue corn that's grown here in Arizona. And bourbon whiskey takes anywhere from two to six plus years to mature in a barrel. And if you can imagine, you have to have a lot of it to have enough to fulfill the demand when the time comes that you come to release it. And so that building that we're building out out there out the way is basically going to be eventually our barrel rick house where we just lay down our bourbon in there to age and uh, try to manage temperature and humidity to create an ideal climate for Mm -hmm. it to mature as quickly as possible and just fill it up with barrels. Um, By the time we actually start selling bourbon here, that warehouse will probably be full of about 500 barrels of bourbon. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, How long uh, in the future, if you can say or estimate, or if you don't want to, that's fine as well. Based on my observation of our climate here, Climate, temperature, and humidity, and the fluctuations of such play a huge role in the maturation of whiskey. Um, we're almost at 7,000 feet elevation up here, so it's cold. Uh, cold and it's dry, which tends to lend to a much slower maturation. Mm-hmm. Um, based on my general observations of our climate and the first year of maturation of our bourbon, we're probably looking at it being at least four years old before it's ready. Gotcha. Um, which... It's unfortunately part of the waiting game. Yeah. But, uh, Are you losing as much of the angel share uh, in that time period as you would in a different climate or the same amount uh, that you would if you were in, in Kentucky? In our or? case here, we actually lose quite a bit more due okay. to lack of humidity. Gotcha. Um, and so we artificially manage our humidity here um, and try to drive it up as much as possible. Normal humidity in Kentucky swings around 50% year-round. Um, we're here, we're closer to 20 Okay. And so we do everything we can to keep it humid um, because otherwise those barrels would be dry in four years. Interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. It is, yeah. Yeah, the barrels breathe a ton, and uh, the drier it is, the more they breathe. Right. Which is good for the maturation, but if there's nothing left in it in four years, then... It's going to be an expensive uh, bottle (laughs) at that point. Super expensive bottle. Yeah. 
Um, cool. Hey, what's coming up on the horizon for the brewery? Any new beers you're working? You told me about the uh, brown ale you're working on. Any Brown's other things coming up? up? We have Wheat Whistle coming up too oh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I just put off a couple kegs um, and a cast. We're doing so one of the biggest festivals here in Arizona is called uh, Real Wild and Woody. Um, it's where I, I I describe it as a place where brewers get to go and show off. Okay. So. We get to go ahead and bring a lot of fun stuff that um, was a little bit more rare. And so we actually did a barrel age project uh, with some of Chris's barrels. And so we did a, you've probably heard of barley wine, right? Yep. Well, we decided to go away from the, the traditional barley wine and we did a wheat wine, which um, the primary ingredient is malted wheat. And so we did a wheat wine and uh, we aged it in... Um, I think they're rye, well, the one that I just kegged was a rye whiskey barrel. And um, man, we we let it go for about four or five months and it is absolutely delicious. Uh, we're, I cannot wait to taste this cask. And so a cask is kind of like a, uh, a bottle conditioned beer. You prime it with sugar, you enclose it, and you let it naturally carbonate. Um, in England, it's very big, it's called the real ale movement. But uh, so we've got that coming up. Um, we've got a fun one we do with some of his Sonoran blue corn. Uh, it's called Purple Nurple. The blue corn <laughs> actually gives it a, uh, a purple color. And then we use the same bacteria in the corn to go ahead and allow it to sour up. Uh, basically, you get, drop the pH down, um, create some lactic acid, and it, uh, it tastes really interesting, really good. It was a big hit last year. Um, the name helps too. Uh, people, absolutely, people oh, come uh, yeah. up and you offer them a purple nurple at a beer fest. Everybody says yes. <laughs> and we, Ronnie and I, just brewed this on Friday. Um, it's not a fun beer to brew, but it's a great one to drink. Uh, is our pumpkin ale, and so it's our. I'm sorry, our pumpkin porter. What makes it not fun to brew? Uh, so it's about. Uh, so our our mash tun only has, or our louder tun only has, so much room. And um, we really overloaded it. We used about 3,000 pounds of uh, malt. And then on top of that, we used, uh, we used real pumpkins, and that kind of makes the mash sticky. Yep. So normally in uh, our runoff, which is basically draining all that wort, that sugar water out, um, that'll take maybe two to four hours, anywhere between. And this one took 12 hours. Wow. Um, yeah, and so that was fun. Uh, we, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but, <laughs> you um, make a kind of an event but, out yeah, of it. <laughs> it's, it's a really popular one. People love it. And this is going to be the first year that we're distributing it. We're going to go ahead and make, I think we're doing 12 ounce cans and oh, just 16 ounce cans. Yeah. So just 16 ounce cans. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So look for the beer can with the pumpkin on it. Yeah. It, it looks really cool. Uh, pumpkin Springs Porter. Pumpkin Springs Porter. Yeah, and yeah. we named it Pumpkin Springs. Uh, there's a rock feature that exists down in the Grand Canyon um, called Pumpkin Springs, where it's a spring that leaches out. I don't remember the chemical that's within the water, but it makes this giant rock look like a pumpkin mm-hmm. the size of an RV down in the bottom of the canyon. And uh, it's a very, very well-known feature that exists within the Grand Canyon. Okay. Don't don't try to drink that water because I think it's arsenic. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's a good note. Yeah. And, so uh, just so don't that, lick that, that rock. Not Do not lick that rock. Making of the beer. <laughs> yes, no arsenic involved. In yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> and uh, 
And so as artists, our sort of fun take on, you know, taking the classic pumpkin beer and really, you know, paying homage to one of the amazing features of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Uh, minus the arsenic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing. We, uh, we obviously, the Grand Canyon is our livelihood. Um, not only do we, did we name our brewery after it, uh, but we also live 50 miles away. And so it's literally our livelihood. It's what keeps this town alive, and we try to do everything we can to go ahead um, and protect it. So we are uh, we're all about conservation here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm going. So I'm going to the Grand Canyon tomorrow for the first time. That's oh, kind of man. how we're passing through this town yeah um and was excited to learn that there was a brewery here Uh, our friends at dark sky recommended coming over here um so yeah i'm just excited i don't even know if there's a question i have about the grand canyon but being grand canyon brewery uh i would guess that you get a lot of traffic from people like myself coming through the town uh, to go to the Grand Canyon, and then you've got distribution set up as well. But mm-hmm. is the operation here uh, mostly people coming through to visit the Grand Canyon, or do you have a lot of local community coming in as so well? So it's it's definitely a mix. Um, now the majority of the business coming through town is tourists. I mean, we get millions of people that come through this t- little town each year, uh, so that's very, definitely a large percentage of it. But we also like to, um, you know, cater to a very uh, local friendly environment as well. Uh, we all live here. We, we don't leave, live, uh, leave that often. Um, and so we like to go ahead and, yeah, we like to help each other out. That's awesome. In a small town like this, you really do. You have to. Yeah. Uh, okay, and so then people can find your beers all around Arizona uh, through distribution channels, yep. uh, the ones that you've canned mm-hmm. in 16 ounces and 12-ounce cans. Yeah. You can get us just about everywhere, Walmart, Fry's, Safeway, Total Wine. Um, that's beer and spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, just about any restaurant, any convenience store. Um, with any of them, I mean, you go into them, they don't have it. If you ask for it, they can get it. That's awesome. Um, we're, I believe we're the second largest independent <laughs> brewery in our state. Um, we don't... We I think don't, it's third. Third. Oh, sorry. I it's just okay. pushed somebody that's, off. <laughs> <laughs> next year. Next year, yeah, that'll yeah. be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, and we're independent, which is an important thing to us. Independent, veteran-owned company, mm-hmm. um, where we're not members of AB InBev or Molson Coors. Yeah. Um, As we look up what breweries to go to around the country, mm-hmm. we go to craftbeer.com and pull up that map because uh, yeah. it very distinctly shows which ones have uh, the independent craft seal, Absolutely. and and it's we want to go support um, businesses and, and breweries that are uh, yeah. taking. And then those you're steps. also supporting the the local economy. Which right. is really cool, which we really appreciate. Yeah, so. yeah. And I've said this in other podcasts, but we really get a good feel for the local community at breweries because it's where people gather. Absolutely. Uh, and it has yeah. been that way for a very, very long time. Yeah. People gather around beer, share life together. So uh, it's really cool gathering around beers at local craft breweries. Um, so that's great. We can find those beers there. Where can we find the spirits? Um, it's about the same. Okay. Um, we're all throughout the state of Arizona. Walmart, Safeways, Fries, convenience stores, bars, restaurants. Cool. A few more years before there's some bourbon. Yeah, it'll be a couple okay. more years. Um, we're going to be releasing our first aged whiskey uh, in fall of this year. Okay. Um, it's a single malt whiskey. Um, it's actually the whiskey that was made from the beer that these guys brewed. Cool. Um, super small batch, like 500 bottles. Um, as we were starting off the distillery, 
we started small um, and very conservative where we our first year we only did like 40 barrels of whiskey uh, mainly because we were trying to get sort of the cash flowing selling some of our white spirits to pay the bills for making whiskey um, and we're finally at that point where we're just starting to reap the benefits of those first barrels of whiskey we laid down uh, but there's not a lot of it and so this first release we're doing which will be our only whiskey release in 2019 is literally like 600 bottles nice that's it yeah uh, so get really, one while you can yeah yeah <laughs> if you see it get it because uh, when it's gone it's gone and there's not going to be another one until next summer nice and uh, i'm excited about it it's a really really good single malt whiskey um, and part of it is that we're using great ingredients and good brew process and good distillation to truly make world-class spirits awesome and i think it shows cool well grab a grand canyon brewing beer wherever you can and a spirit as well yeah and thanks for having us out today Absolutely. Uh, this was a blast oh was, yeah definitely uh, really fun to always get together with people over a beer well, whether it's love, recorded or not <laughs> i love any chance to put all the work on ronnie and sit and talk so, yeah. Yeah. so you're doing a great ronnie. job ronnie yeah have a great weekend yeah thanks ronnie for thank making you. this beer burr, 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 burr. <laughs> yeah. yeah ronnie doing a great job have a great weekend yeah cheers it's cheers, monday <laughs> Hey, thanks again for listening to the Beer You Go podcast. Hope you enjoyed that interview with the guys from Grand Canyon Brewing and Distillery. Uh, Remember, Sticker Mule helps us out. They give us stickers to pass out at all the breweries we go to, and they are the best stickers that we have found. Check them out if you want some stickers for your brewery or for anything else that you might want on a sticker. Until next time, cheers.